Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the United States Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina, and joining me once again is Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm hanging in there and enjoying and it get enjoyed another wonderful fall weekend. Um, you know, we've been really lucking out with uh, with the weather on these weekends, and and hopefully, fingers crossed, that continues for for what's shaping up to be another exciting week. This weekend was an amazing weekend weather-wise for football. I, I, I coached the little guys team for my two young sons, and I actually said to, to my team before we took the field, I said, hey, guys, when you're sitting around in you know, June, July, and you're, you're dreaming about the football season, this is the day you're dreaming about, right? This, the bright sunshine and the leaves gently falling and the cool air and all that sort of like romanticism about, uh, about the fall in New England and football in the air. I mean, it, it was just that, yes, yeah, that perfect yeah. of a football. Absolutely. So I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I while while you were saying that, I figured I'd pull up, uh, look at the weather for Friday, and I'm gonna I'm gonna like now put it away because I don't want to. <laughs> might rain. You're thinking you might not. You should not have done that. <laughs> yeah, it might rain. It might rain on Friday. But anything could change between yeah, now and got, then. We got a lot of time. We got a lot of time to go. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, as always, you can send us questions and feedback or, or maybe even your weather report uh, by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at nhhsports. i got to figure out how to post more stuff to that, uh, that TikTok page. I, I've been meaning to do that. Uh, and you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. All right, before we get started, going to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. The presenting sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show is Roger Howe of The Bean Group. Are you thinking of selling your home? Now may be the time. And while the weather is starting to cool off, the market is hot and interest rates remain at all-time lows. It's time to call Roger Howe, a licensed professional realtor with The Bean Group. Not sure what your home is worth? Roger will provide a market analysis for you at no charge. With 12 years of experience in residential, commercial, leasing, and investment properties, Roger knows your local market. Contact Roger Howe of The Bean Group at 800 800- Four five zero seven seven eight four or six zero three two four seven one five eight three or send him an email at roger at rhowrealestate.com. All right, Mike, uh, it's that time for us to uh, announce our uh, or <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here. Before we get, before we get into a lot of uh, the stuff that happened this past weekend, uh, we want to take a moment to. Um, to I guess express our condolences and sympathies to the uh, the Alvern football program. Of course, uh, by now a lot of you have probably heard about the young man uh, Gavin Huntoon, uh, who's an Alvern uh, student, Hudson resident, who passed away uh, not this past Sunday, the one before uh, on October second, uh, was in an accident. Uh, he was a member of the Alvern football program. I know a lot of teams have been uh, you know expressing their sympathies on uh, social media. Uh, and I also, the games that I was at this weekend, I heard some great things that, you know, the Londonderry game, I believe all of the gate uh, was donated to the family to help try to pay for his, um, you know, services. Uh, same thing at Campbell, um, the winner of the 50-50 raffle also donated the money uh, from that uh, as well. Um, and I know there's uh, a lot of other programs have posted about trying to raise money to, to help support the family in this time too, but we just want to we want to pass along our, our condolences as well. Yeah, thanks for thanks for leading off with that, Joe. My heart is very heavy. Um, you know, it, 
I think about the tragedy that happened last year with the, the, the bow community right. and the response to that. And uh, it, it's such a great thing when the state uh, football programs pull together and recognize and support each other in these kind of things. I, I hate thinking about the idea that it seems like we've gotten a little well-practiced in it lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not something that I want to, I want to, hope for or, or, or what have you, but um, these kind of things, you know, one is too many and uh, very, very tragic. Our hearts and, and uh, our prayers are, are with the community at this point because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, there's no words. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and if, and if you're looking to, um, you know, to help as well, um, I know I've, you know, shared this stuff on, on my social media, but um, it might be hard to find at this point. Uh, I know Roger Brown at uh, nhfootballreport.com has information on it. If you go to his site, it's a little bit easier to find uh, that you're able to to donate to the families. And, and again, uh, just want to, you know, express our, uh, our our sympathies and our, our extend our condolences to to the families that were involved in in that accident. Um, and uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm assuming it was somewhat related to, but I know Alvern's game initially had been moved to to Sunday uh, against Nashville North, but that one's showing up as as canceled, so I'm I'm assuming they maybe just canceled the game, um, you know, out of respect for um, for those involved, and um, probably a good idea, I think, in the long run. Yeah, yeah, that might have been the right call. Too much, too much emotion, um, maybe to soldier on there, and, and and I'm sure as these programs do, they'll recover and they'll realize, hey, going out there and and playing for that is is a is a positive thing, but sometimes it's just it's too much to ask that that close to a tragedy yeah uh all right well i guess um we'll uh we'll move on to our normal uh player and team of the week uh for for this past weekend uh as we've been doing all year uh each of us picks a a player and a team that had a uh an outstanding week and and as we we agreed on uh the first week and we've stuck to it as far as i can remember uh we're only picking someone once so uh, we want to try to, re- in order to recognize as many people as we can, because I'm sure th- there are some kids that, that honestly, you're just too good. We, we'd be picking every single week if we could, uh, I would imagine. But uh, this week we've got a couple of uh, couple of, of new teams, new players. And uh, I, Mike, I think I went first last week, so I will let you, uh, I will let you take, the, take over for this one right now. All right, so what are we going first? We're going to uh, player I'll go team. Yeah. Oh, you want to go with your team? Okay, go with your team. I go team, is that all right? Sure, go for it. <laughs> I'm glad I jumped in because I was like my notes on my player are on the other. <laughs> so for so for team of the week, I'm gonna this may come as a surprise to some people, but I'm going to pick Stevens okay. um, for their uh, what I think was a big win, twenty eight nothing over Fall Mountain, who's who is a you know obviously a contender um, in Division three. Um, you know Stevens started out zero three, but they they played. Some really good opponents, uh, not the least of which were Monadnock and Campbell. Uh, but since then, they've strung together three really solid wins uh, against Kearsarge, Epic Newmarket, and, and this week, most notably, I think, against Fall Mountain, um, which kind of puts them back in contention, perhaps. Although you're the, you're the uh, spreadsheet and math guy on that one, so you'd probably know better than I do. But, you know, some of the things that stood out, I think, too, in that game was that you had um, – Tyler Christian, who's a, a two-way player for Stevens, not only does he play quarterback and uh, 
he had 112 yards on 20 carries uh, and a couple of rushing touchdowns, but he also had nine tackles on defense, including a sack. So that's a, that's a great performance. And also, you know, we don't get to mention a lot of times the, 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 the trench guys, right? We had Colby Shepard uh, who recorded 12 tackles on defense and also uh, was on the offensive line and, uh, and helped Stevens rush for over 270 yards on the ground. So, a um, couple of big performances for Stevens there. Um, I think it's a it was an important game in Division Three, and um, yeah, that's the one that I wanted to go with. Yeah, I, I will answer your question there about the uh, the contention, and I, I would say that Stevens absolutely put itself back in contention. Although that opening game loss to Interlakes Moultonboro uh, yes. could end up coming back to haunt the Cardinals. Uh, so they'll probably while they've got um, Kingswood this week, they'll probably be keeping an eye on the uh, matchup between Fall Mountain and Interlakes. Uh, you know, right now, both Stevens, Interlakes are 3-3, three and three, Fall Mountain's at 4-2, and two, but they've got, not only do they have Interlakes, Moultonboro this week, they also play Trinity and Campbell to end the year. So a very tough schedule for the Wildcats to end the season. But I, I guess, it, well, if you're Stevens, you're hoping that Fall Mountain, though, is able to knock off Interlakes uh you know, and moving forward, and then and then for Stevens themselves, they finish off the year at, uh, hosting Trinity, so they're going to probably need a win in that game um, to to have a chance to get in. Uh, but you're right, yeah, they put themselves right back in the mix with that one. Yeah, uh, for, yeah for and, and I think it was good too that you know Fall Mountains played really good defense this year. If you, I mean, again, just looking at the scores and things that they've given up, you know, to to get. Four rushing touchdowns. Uh, Jalik Ribeiro added another 88 yards and a couple scores. You know, maybe with this this little streak, they've started to put together a bit of a run game identity, and, and who knows, you know. But, yeah, I, w- I was looking at the same thing you were and thinking there's there's some interesting things that are going to have to fall together for a couple teams now. Yeah. Well, my team, I'm going to take uh, a team out of Division Four that had reason to celebrate uh, – this weekend, and that would be uh, Franklin, which pulled out a 22-6 to win over Muscoma. Uh, the first win for Franklin since September 26th of 2020. And looking back on uh, on the Golden Tornadoes' past couple seasons, this is just their third win since the start of the 2019 season. So, so a big day for them. Uh, you had uh, Zeke McCoy throwing for almost 200 yards, ran for a touchdown, threw for another touchdown. Uh, Dustin Johnson was on the other end of most of those passes. He had 126 receiving yards and a TD. And then, uh, I'm hoping I get this name right, but Alan Valentelli had an interception uh, return for a touchdown for uh, Franklin as well. So congrats to them picking up their first win uh, in quite some time. Um, you know, that's got to be huge for that program. I know I, I went up there a couple of years ago to talk uh, with them, and uh, at that time I know it was a – you know they had a very you know like most Division Four programs, small roster, but just a lot of youth too. Uh, and I'm sure you know going through what we all what we went through the last couple of years with with the pandemic did not help um, numbers there. So glad to see them getting that first win in in quite some time. And, and congrats to Franklin. Yeah, I, I love that pick, Joe, because one thing that I've learned in all the years that I coached um, in New Hampshire was that whether you've got 11 wins or whether you have one win or two wins, right? It, you know, kids on those teams love football. You know, they're, they're working hard. They're out there to try to be with their friends, to get coached up, to get some discipline and to play the game that they love. And it, it's, it's really hard when you go through a stretch where you're not 
finding success, right? You work really hard all week long to play one game a week. You know, it's not like a lot of these other sports where you play two, sometimes even three, you know, contests a week. You're working your tail off all week long, plus the off seasons and things like that for one game a week, you know, maybe eight or nine games a season. Um, it, it can get challenging when you're not finding the success. And so I think it's, I think it's a great pick because, um, you know, those, those kids deserve to feel that win. So uh, that leaves us with, uh, with players of the week. Um, who was your, uh, who stood out for you this week? So there was a big game in, uh, in where on Saturday night uh, between John Stark and Hillsborough during Hopkinton, it was John Stark's kind of under lights homecoming game, which is always a huge deal for these teams that don't have lights at their facility, right? I remember early in the in the days of the Hollis Brookline program when I was uh, a coach there, we used to do a lights game once a year where you could sort of rent in the you know the lights, the portable generator type lights, and um, it's always such a cool thing for the school and for the players and all those those sort of things. So. Um, so Drew Tower, who's a sophomore running back, running in that uh, that no huddle uh, double wing offense that they run at Stark, uh, put up some pretty impressive numbers: almost 230 yards and six rushing touchdowns on 23 carries. Um, and and uh, young Mr. Tower helped uh, carry Stark. Uh, it was it was a pretty close game at halftime, but ended up uh, dominating Hillsborough during Hopkinton in the second half of that game for 61 to 33 wins. So I wanted to uh, tip my cap to Drew. Yeah, that is quite a performance. I, re- I remember seeing a little bit that, of that on, uh, on Twitter, uh, and I just my eyes kind of popping out of my head uh, when I saw what that final was. Um, you know, and for, for a program that, that I think we talked about a couple weeks ago, I you know, got to go see um, you know, John Stark play at Merrimack Valley a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, great to see that, that the last, you know, last couple of weeks they've been able to get some wins, put up some points, uh, just have a lot of success because they seem like they're, it's a program that they've been working really hard to, uh, to get back to maybe the level they were a few years ago. So, uh, yeah, congrats uh, to the Generals. And then yep. uh, uh, for my player, uh, kind of a, a similar performance, I guess I would say, uh, in a game that I, I got to see, I, I saw this performance firsthand, which was, I, I mean, at the time I, I – was just a little mind-boggling. But I'm going to go with Jack Lorenz from uh, Monadnock, uh, who had uh, quite a day for himself against Campbell. He had 30, item with 30 carries, 361 yards, and five touchdowns uh, in Monadnock's 52-8 to win. And on top of all that, I mean, that's an outstanding performance, I think, for anybody, but Lorenz yeah. has only been a running back for a couple of weeks here. Uh, you know, they... they started you know thinking about moving him to from uh offensive guard to running back uh, a couple weeks ago and they've kind of slowly been working him in and I guess this week was the first week where they really put him out there quite a bit uh and it and it was you know I imagine it, it caused confusion for me which I'm sure you know I know you saw my tweet on Saturday of uh you know oh, hey there's a player wearing number 90 who scored a touchdown yeah. but I have no idea who he is cuz he's not on the roster I, uh, I ended up noticing later that he had um, – Manadnock has numbers on their helmets as well. Well, one side of his helmet said 90, and the other side of his helmet said 68, which is what his number was listed at on the roster. Uh, yeah. You know, and also they were announcing his name. So once I could get a, hear it clearly, I was able to f- find him on there. 
Um, yeah, I was going to say, if he's scoring five touchdowns, you're going to have to figure out who he is <laughs> yeah, pretty quick. Right, right. I think I'm going to have to write about this kid, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I chatted with him after the game, and apparently, uh, you know, according to, um, you know, um, the men I know, coach Rob Latito, uh, Mr. Lorenz is, is in line potentially to be the valedictorian for the senior class at Manadnock this year. Uh, wow. Yeah, so he's uh, quite a remarkable guy. Not your typical lineman either. I mean, he's he looks he's tall, very well built, uh, and he's got some speed, man. I, I, his, his last four touchdowns were all over 25 yards, including, um, I want to say, one that was 77, where you could just tell that, that – you know the Campbell kids were getting a little bit of ti- a little bit tired of trying to tackle him. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I love those kind of backs. So a couple <laughs> points on him before we move into the rest of the the, the podcast. One is I had a running back who uh, my first year as the head coach at Sauhegan was a thousand yard rusher, uh, Drew Prescott, and he was also the school valedictorian. But he wasn't a lineman first. He <laughs> he was always a back. So a uh, little bit of difference between those guys probably. And the second thing is, I gotta wonder whether that's a school rushing record for Manadnock. You know, I know um, back in 2013 there was a kid. I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Belowski, and he was a really, really good running back for Manadnock. And he put up, I think it was about 350 yards against Milford. He had a monster day uh, or night, I should say, against Milford. But I, I'm pretty sure I remember 350 as his number. I got to guess that 361 is going to be a school record, right? I mean, that's it's a pretty big deal. I, I'm not sure how long Manadnock's history goes back, but a little pretty big at deal. Least, yeah, but uh, yeah, Drew Drew Belowski. Uh, let's see if I can find this. Uh, you you stop. Yeah, talking. that was his name, Drew Belowski. <laughs> you you stop, got it. You stopped talking faster than I expected. So I'm so. Oh, yep. Here we go. Uh, against Milford, a 56-14 win against Milford in 2013. He had 33 carries. 332 yards and three touchdowns. Ah, all right. So, yeah. So, Renz has got him beat there by, potentially by what? 30 yards, 29 yards. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, I wonder, you'll have to ask Coach Latito if that's a record. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't, I, honestly, I, that I didn't even think of, um, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, congratulations to Jack Lorenzo. Yeah. That's a great performance in, a, in, a, in what was a huge game. A, a huge win and, and a surprising one. I, I saw a couple people commenting online that they did not see that coming and and i would agree with them i agree too i was shocked uh so Uh, not that they won but that they won in the manner in which they they won right um you know before we get into these into the games i wanted to bring something up um because i've seen it happen a couple times now and i'm i'm really curious as to what's going on with this uh and you're probably looking at the the email i sent you beforehand and saw that and was going like what what is joe talking about and and the thing that i'm going to I'm going to just start out by calling them intentional groundings. I've seen a number of these this year, and I feel like I've been seeing them more and more over the last couple of years. And and what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, quarterback gets under pressure, right? And, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you tell guys to do in that situation? I would imagine, you know, if, if you're not able to get rid of the ball, it's just to, to take the sack, right? Like you yeah, you got to eat it. Yeah. And, and a number of times this year, uh, again, I, I've seen guys, the split second before they fall to the ground, they get their knees down, they get taken down, they throw the ball. It just, it just, it just toss it up in the air, regardless of where it's going, who's near it, you know, what what the situation is. Um, and it just, I, I don't understand why it's happening. 
you know, and a lot of times it's been ruled a fumble. Uh, the other team recovers, um, you know, and then the kid gets up and tries, no, no, I was throwing it, I was throwing it. Well, if you were throwing it, then it's an intentional grounding, and you just cost your team a down and yards and all of that. Yeah. I, I don't because there's I can't see anything good that comes from this situ from that situation and I'm wondering it can't be something that the kids are being taught is it? <laughs> it's funny because I had a feeling that's where you were going with that question. I I can't imagine that, Joe. I mean, one of the fundamental, the earliest things you teach even young quarterbacks, even when you're you know like a little league pop Warner type, which I which I am doing now, um, <laughs> is. You, you teach those guys to take care of the football. And even if you're only throwing two or three times a game with, you know, a fourth-grade quarterback or something, you know, you, you teach them exactly what you just said, which is, you know, take the sack if you have to, but taking care of the football and, and not throwing it up for grabs, you know, for a turnover or allowing a, a strip sack or something like that is of absolute importance. Sometimes you have to eat your ego and you have to eat uh, your pride and you have to go down. So I don't, I mean, I'm, I haven't coached at the high school level since 2016 now. So maybe something has changed, but <laughs> I do know that there's emotion in those quarterbacks, right? Yeah, the yeah. last thing in the world they want is to get sacked. And so I don't know whether, you know, in, in the heat of the moment, the frustration, they're doing something that they've been told since they were young not to do, or if there is some other sort of thought that offensive coaches have, Nowadays, that's different. I, I don't know. I, I can't fathom that, but it's a good question. Just it, yes, something, again, that I've seen, I feel like I've seen a lot. And it's enough to the point that I'm, I was wondering if this is, this is the way, like, kids are being taught. And I, I can't imagine that it is, but I don't know. I, 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 if it is, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded. <laughs> you know, the only thing that I might, I might say there, Joe, is that there is a lot more value these days Based on improvisation at quarterback, You're right, right, especially in in sort of these more wide open spread type offenses, right. You, you see a lot more value placed on that athletic kid who, you know, can make a couple guys miss, take off off the middle if the if the pocket starts collapsing, and they get praised for making these improv plays, right. You look at Patrick Mahomes and some of these guys in the NFL that I'm sure a lot of kids look up to because they're amazing players and athletes that can do that kind of stuff. So you got to wonder whether there's a little bit of that, uh, yeah. you know, not stuff that's being overtly coached or taught, but the messaging that that kids might receive by, you know, those improv type plays being really praised and the you know the last minute athleticism and escape and all that kind of stuff. I you know maybe that's that's a it's a theory. Who knows. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into uh, into the games from last weekend, and I we've got to start with uh, with the game that uh, a lot of people I think were talking about and had their eyes on uh, in Division One. That being Londonderry Bishop Gurdon. I know when we we did this last week, uh, you know, I mentioned that that this was going to be a regular season meeting between the number one and number two teams in the Union Leader Power Poll, which typically doesn't happen in the regular season. Uh, usually, that happens. If it happens, it's in the playoffs. You know, but not only that, and I, I didn't think of this until later in the week when I was putting together the the playoff picture uh, for the website. Uh, this is the first time that you've had two teams meet in Division One in a potential uh, finals preview, going all the way back to to 2012 before the division was reformatted. Because in the past, you had 
you know, your two clusters split in half, and the teams that met in the final were from opposite sides and had not played each other during the regular season. So mm-hmm. obviously with the structure format changing this year, uh, the the <laughs> the structure of the playoffs, I should say, changing this year, um, you know, these, these two teams could potentially meet again at some point. Uh, and you know what? I kind of – I'm hoping that at some point they do because this was – I thought was – uh, incredible game, incredible atmosphere, you know, a lot of back and forth. You know, it looked like BG was in trouble early when when they, you know, didn't have much, much success on their first couple of drives. Londonderry was able to move the ball on them but didn't find the end zone. Then BG gets a couple of uh, goal-to-go situations in the second quarter that they aren't able to capitalize on. Um, Londonderry goes up, um, it was 14-8 to going into halftime. Um, and then turnovers started to kill Bishop Girton. Londonderry was able to capitalize on those. Um, the Cardinals, too. I can't believe the number of injuries that they've sustained in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, just the, the sideline. They've got probably a pretty good team on the sidelines, um, you know, that w- they're unable, that's unable to play um, on top of what they've got on the field. So, um, you know, just a, a re- really competitive game. And one that I, I I would like to see again. Oh yeah, I I, I agree. Right, I'm. You know, I, I went to a different game on Friday night, but that that was definitely the game of the week. I, I have to admit, I was a little surprised by the score. Um, I, I thought it might be tighter, but it seemed like it it was kind of a closer game, maybe than the score indicated. Is that is that sort of how you felt about yeah, it? Or? I would I would say that, like, yeah, uh, especially if if you know, well, the 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 key one that for me was that first time that that the Cardinals were able to get inside the ten yard line. Uh, they did so on a long run by by Matt Sanaswaso. You know, he, yeah. he just found a hole, cut back, took off, and against nineteen other teams, Erks, yeah, against nineteen other teams in the division he scores a touchdown on that play because he's yeah. one of the fastest kids on the field. Uh, against Londonderry, he's, they've got kids who are as fast as him. Uh, they catch him at the nine, and then they don't end up scoring. You know, So if BG's able to punch it in there, and that would have given them the lead too. Um, yeah. You know, So that made a huge difference. Um, so, yeah, there were some, some – I saw, I saw that, that run. I think uh, Matt posts his highlights every once in a while to Twitter and uh, – yeah, he, he's, you know, it's interesting. A lot of times when I've seen film of him or whatever, right, it's it's him pulling the ball and, you know, gutting out six or seven yards. He yeah. gets in the open field. He's nasty. He's got <laughs> yeah. he's got some speed. He reminds me of Connor Benjamin from um, Goffstown from back in like the, the, you know, sort of 2011 and 12 time frame who was just like, a monstrous tailback type kit that just happened to be a quarterback, right? Uh, right. I mean, I, I, I think Sinisuazo is better than that. Um, but he's a really good runner in the open field, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then the, then the turnovers really, um, you know, Londonderry had a couple in the first half that BG wasn't able to capitalize, but then the ones that BG had in the second half, uh, Lund, you know, the Lancers did the, you know, were able to capitalize on them. So, yeah, it was – it, it kind of got away, uh, I, I think, late, um, or uh, excuse me, in that third quarter. Uh, yeah. You know, the other thing that stuck out to me uh, reading your write-up on it um, on your website was, you know, Heenan kind of has this way of, he doesn't throw the ball. You know, he, he it's not like Drew Heenan is throwing the ball 23 
27 times a game, right? He was 8 of 12 for just a hair under 200 yards passing, but he scores three touchdowns through the air, right? And, and I mean, he's, so he, he's a very explosive player when he throws the ball. Obviously, we know he can run, right? I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a very good runner. But he's one of these guys, he's not like the, the, this prototypical sort of spread quarterback that the coaches let throw the ball, you know, 20, 25 times a game. It's like they pick their spots with him. And when he does throw the ball, he's extremely successful doing it, is my impression. He's, I think he, if they needed him to do that to win games, I, he would do it. I think he could do it. He has the talent to. Um, and, and that goes for running the ball, too. Uh, whatever right. they needed him to do, if they had to rely on him to win games, I think they could. They just have so much around him, too, that he is able to distribute the ball and, and have success like that. And one of those touchdowns was a, was a, re, a wheel route to – to Jake Shenna where I mean he's all by himself 10 yards down the field and and Heenan's just got to get it to him he does and 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 Shenna's got to be one of the fastest kids on the field too and and yeah I mean he was gone um is Shenna only a junior I believe so junior I think he is that's right Uh, I think I remember seeing him in the championship game a little bit last year and thinking oh he's only a sophomore I you know but my memory sometimes is not (laughs) not great but but uh, but yeah, so so uh, that impresses me too. It is just that exactly what you just said is that they don't have to use Heenan as you know rely on him to do everything. When they do use him, he's really good though. Like he right. gets the job done, and and I just think that's really impressive. That's the sign of a team um, that's going to continue to make noise. I would say, you know, and for for Londonderry, um, you know, that really puts them in the driver's seat for the number one seat. I would say, you know, they're. 5 and 0 in the division right now, uh 5 and 1 overall. And they finish out with three games that you got to think they're going to be, you know, if you were setting lines, you'd probably make them the favorite in um hosting Alvern on Friday, going to Winnicott and then going to Salem to end the season. So yeah. it's, you know, you're potentially looking there at the at the number 1 seed and then for BG, um it doesn't get any easier the next couple of weeks as they uh, they host Bedford. I guess the easiest part of it is, is all three of their final games are going to be at Stellos after uh, after being on the road for, for what felt like a good month. Um, they're going to be at Stellos Saturday night to host Bedford. Friday, The following Friday, they're, uh, and I'm using quotes, uh, at Nashua North, and then they finish up with Keene uh, at home. So uh, a tough couple of weeks there for the Cardinals. Um who will uh, to try to bounce back from that that first loss? Yeah, and and that puts it it's, it really paints an interesting game this Bedford BG matchup next week because you know Bedford hasn't lost since week one against North, um, and then they strung together you know Salem they had an out of state game they beat Gostown they beat South and they just beat Exeter this week. Now you could look back at that that portfolio of, of work, so to speak, and say, well, you know, S- Salem's young and has struggled. Gosstown, obviously very similar. South, I don't think, has a win to their name yet. But they just beat Exeter, who who you and I both know is a quality team. Right. They have struggled a little bit the last couple weeks, but, um, you know, it, it, it still sets up a pretty significantly meaningful game between both of those programs, uh, you know, as you said, at Stelos um, on the 15th. Yeah, and not just, I mean, Bedford has been, um, you know, they, they've given up 39 points all year. 
Right. Um, I haven't looked at everyone else's, you know, numbers. Um, that one was just right in front of me at the moment. But, I mean, that's, um, you know, given some of the teams that they've played, um, you know, that, that's an outstanding total. Uh, and, and before last week, they, I mean, they were down, uh, I want to say, 10-7 in the second half against Exeter and had to come back to win that game. Uh, you know, and on, on the road, too, uh, which is, you know, not, not an easy thing to do at Exeter. Right, and even North only mustered 19 points against them. And, you know, North put up 48 against Central, 47 against South, 64 against Gosstown. So something to be said there defensively. It should be should be an interesting matchup. I guess you got to hope BG, if you're a BG fan, um, starts to get healthy this week. Yeah. Um, you know, the other big game I think that, that saw two teams from those conferences meet was, uh, was Merrimack-Spalding. Um, you know, Spalding coming off its first loss. Merrimack trying to keep pace with those team other teams in the West, um, you know. So so a big one for for both of those programs, and uh, I you know I just had the score in front of me and now it's gone. Here we go. <laughs> Merrimack gets a twenty four to twelve win at home against Spalding. So their um you know and their game this week kind of a sneaky big one with uh, with Nashua North coming to Merrimack. Yeah, I I had tweeted uh, on. Or twittered, or I, I don't know what the I think tweeted the proper is the, terminology yeah, is, is the, for the, posting a tweet. But uh, I had tweeted a bunch of stuff on on Saturday morning, and one of the things that I said was, you know, Merrimack is like this sort of sneaky four and one. Yeah. Right now, you know, they they opened up against Bonnie Eagle, which I I, I think doesn't count, right? It's right, not they, even a yeah. tiebreaker type no. of thing. I, I know we reviewed that at the beginning of the year, but I don't remember. No, it does not count. Yeah, and then and their only loss is to BG, who we admittedly know is a very very good, you know, sort of top two football team. Um, so so Merrimack has done well and hasn't really gotten a lot of talk associated with them yet. Um, you know, and I know Trent Jackson is leading, or at least he was heading into the weekend, and I think still is leading Division One in passing yards with uh, almost a thousand yards. And then if you look at who Merrimack finishes up with, they have 0-6 North, 0-6 Gosstown, and then... You mean uh, North? You, I think you mixed North and South up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. No, it's not 0-6 North, right. It is <laughs> It's a, it's a very good undefeated <laughs> North. Um, sorry, yes, you're right. Gosstown and Bedford. So they, they're going to be tested. Yeah. Uh, in the coming weeks, but still kind of a kind of a deceptive, like I said, uh, or not deceptive, but a quiet four and one right now. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see uh, how that game uh, plays out on Friday, uh, and I think it's a big difference that game being at Merrimack um, than at North, especially if the yes. weather isn't great on Friday night. Uh, yep, absolutely. Fun. You know, and then um, you know, two other ones. I think we got to mention too. Um, and I and I watched a little bit of this one on uh, the the guys from uh, from FNL uh, FNL New Hampshire. Uh, can check them out on U- their YouTube page. That's how I was watching it. I actually pulled it up on uh, on the TV, so it was nice, uh, nice and big on the on the big screen there. Um, while I was you know finishing up stuff from from earlier in the day on Saturday, uh, but that Memorial Wyndham game. You know that got off to a, a really fun start. Like it was a it was back and forth, great game. I know Wyndham led fourteen uh, nothing early, and uh, Memorial came back and made it fourteen seven. And then it just it turned into a, a sea of flags uh, for what felt like a good two quarters. Um, 
you know, Memorial ended up making it um, interesting, but uh, Wyndham went into its uh, its bag of trip tricks and and pulled out the uh, I don't know if you'd call it a Philly special, but but their version of it, I guess. Uh, you know, with the throwback to uh, the quarterback Josh Sweeney to get um, get a twenty seven win out of that one. That was a fun game to watch, you know, and and not as um, you know, I I. I th- thought I saw some people mention that they were kind of surprised at that result but you know knowing what Memorial has done over the last couple of weeks and I, I wasn't really that surprised at all that they were hanging with Wyndham and they're, no. a t- they're a team that I think you know uh, it may end up ha- you know the, the tough luck that they've had with you know two overtime losses um, you know they, they play in one less game they took a bye week this year instead of playing a, a nine game season um, they might come just short of, of making the playoffs. Um, of course, over the next two weeks, they've got Winnicunit and Nashua South at home. Um, so, you know, potentially can turn that around. But was very impressed with, with Memorial and, and impressed with Wyndham again pulling out that win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I was actually going to say, um, and, and sort of sort of chuckle as I say it, but I was going to say it's a quality win for Wyndham. And you might look at that and say, well, hey, how do you call a win against a one-win team? A quality win, but it's for that reason. It's I actually think Memorial is a pretty good football team. They have two excellent running backs. I I, I wish I had their names uh, in front of me. I had them in my notes from last week, uh, from when they beat they beat Spalding, and I, I I just don't have that in front of me now. Um, and and you know they play a pretty good brand of football. Um, so I do think it's I do think it's a quality win for Wyndham. Quite honestly, An, another one. Um, and I think Memorial is is a is a decent football team that has not had things go their way. So, yeah, very interesting. And uh, I think we also have to mention too. Um, you know, hats off to to Manchester Central uh, pulling off a uh, a big win against Dover. Um, you know, I believe they had to. Uh, yeah, they came back from a fourteen points down to win that game, eighteen to fourteen. Um, you know, so that's their first win of the year. So congratulations to the little green, and and hopefully that can maybe uh, get things rolling for them. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I watched some of that game. I didn't get to finish the whole thing, but um, that was broadcast um, on YouTube as well. And you know, I, I had seen Central play Concord back in I don't know whether it was week two or three. Doesn't matter. I, that's the game that I saw, and I think I had mentioned here on the podcast that they were pretty good. I, I mean, I think Concord is very good. But right up until, you know, maybe half a minute left in the half when I think there was a pick six that got thrown by uh, by Central that kind of broke any sort of momentum going into the half. I mean, Concord was really right there. I mean, uh, Central was right there with Concord and was playing tough. And uh, if a couple of different things had broken the other way, might have gone into the half with a lead there. But, you know, looking at this, this Dover game, the pieces of it that I saw, Central's very big and physical up front. Um, you know, I've seen them in past years where they've been younger and they've been big up front, but maybe not as physical, maybe because the kids were just younger and not quite as confident in themselves uh, as you get when you get to be more of a veteran player. But there's a few kids along the line up front for Central that are big and physical and know how to stick on blocks. Um, and they were opening some pretty good running lanes for the Central running backs to take advantage of. Um, so that's a team that I would say we should probably watch out for here in the, you know, in, in the latter half of the season. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's want to move on to Division Two uh, and talk about uh, kind of the marquee game there that you got a chance to go to, um, which was Hanover at Sauhegan. Two teams that went in undefeated, and uh, and Sauhegan comes out with a win in that one. And and uh, from what it sounds like, they look uh, exactly as good as we thought they might. Yeah, it was a really good game. Um, you know, I, you know, we started on kind of a a, um, a solemn note. Um, and, and I haven't heard anything further about about this young man, but I think I'll start I'll start with this, which is, you know, something pretty unprecedented happened um, with about four minutes and fifteen seconds left in the first half, which is uh, the Hanover quarterback Roger Lucas was running sort of like a speed option out to his left, so out to the far sideline if you're at Sauhegan, the away sideline, and. Um, didn't pitch the ball, ended up keeping it, and a Sauhegan defender came flying in, totally clean hit, body to body, at least by my view of it. Um, and then the next thing you know, it was a good 30, 35 minutes of um, Roger Lucas being on the ground, tended to very carefully uh, by the medical staffs before a um, an ambulance actually showed up and... and uh, and took him off the field. So I haven't heard anything else on that situation, but it, it looked pretty serious. And like I said, it was sort of unprecedented. The decision was made to end the half right there at the four minute and 15 mark or whatever it was and go straight into a 10 minute halftime. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, d- I wanted to acknowledge that and start off. Hopefully if there's anybody from either school who listens to this and they know the status of Roger, I personally would like to know if he's okay. Um, so let us know, but uh, but yeah. Otherwise, it was a really good game. Unfortunately, that sort of uh, that sort of hung over it for the second half, right. and and I, I think it obviously um, it might have impacted Hanover's emotional state a little bit. But my my take on it was, I thought it was a pretty well contested game between two undefeated teams um, that go about their di- business very differently. Uh, I'm not sure that Hanover attempted a pass. Um, or they might have attempted one pass and gotten sacked, but there wasn't a whole lot of uh, lighting it up through the air going on. Sauhegan extremely good in both the running and the passing game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, when they wanted to run, they had uh, J.J. Bright, they had their slot receivers that they could use to run, you know, sort of wide jet sweep type things. Um, Jane, the quarterback, who we've talked about a number of times, he's not bad with his feet either. I don't think that's his first way of hurting you um i think it's with his arm but you know he can run the ball um he's got a rifle for an arm but hanover i would say is is i can see why they were five and oh coming into that game um they could run the ball very very well uh especially right at a good sauhegan defense i'm not talking about tricky stuff or getting a really fast kid outside i'm talking about coming off the football and moving the line of scrimmage you know, on straight ahead, sort of off off guard type of stuff, traps and dives and things like that. Um, very impressed with Hanover's uh, ability to run the ball. What Hanover couldn't do was tackle Sauhegan superstars. Yeah, they just they could not cope with guys like JJ Bright, and Sauhegan was also very very good getting the ball kind of down the hashes on seam routes to some of their. Um, they're really good wide receivers. You know, th- those were the two areas I thought that Hanover really struggled with. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Just to go back to your your comments on on uh, 
Roger Lucas. I don't. I'm not seeing anything anywhere, uh, any updates. So hopefully that's a good sign um, that it's not really out there anyway, anywhere as to his. He's hopefully he's recovered well enough that that you know it's uh, it's not uh, a concern uh, to put out there. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. As I said, I know, you know, they always err on the side of caution. Oh yeah, the yeah. medical teams when something like this happens, you do, you know, you immobilize the head and neck areas. You're very cautious about moving the person. So I think that they did a really good job there at the field, and uh, and hopefully it was just you know a ton of precaution on something that might have been a bad situation that that right. you know has turned out okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and it starts kind of an interesting stretch, not just for Hanover, I don't think, but for all three of those teams at the top of the West, Hanover, Sauhegan, and Pelham, because um, we've made it this far into the season, and that's the first meeting between those three teams. Um, you know, and you add Milford in there, too, which who pl- uh, Pelham plays this week. And, that, you know, I actually wanted to ask you about that, too, um, because last week you had Pelham was supposed to host Lebanon, Lebanon, which we've you know we've heard about all year, struggling with numbers, with um, with injuries, didn't have enough kids they felt to play that game safely against Pelham, so they forfeited. Uh, so now you've got Pelham with basically a bye coming off that, playing a team in Milford that uh, you know as we might have expected seems to be getting better as the year goes on. Um, you know, is that who's that an advantage for? I mean, is, is I know Pelham's rested, but could a week off hurt them against a team that that's looks like it's putting some things together you know it could um it's always it's always emotionally and and even a little bit physically anticlimactic when you spend all week prepping for an opponent with a certain set of personnel and a certain game plan um and and then you, you don't get to you don't get to go do that right so um so it can be a little difficult i think because it's not like they knew they had two weeks to get ready for milford they spent a bunch of time regardless of lebanon's uh record and situation right if, if you're if you're being honest as a coach right you still have to put the prep work into the game plan yeah yeah um so it's not like they spent two weeks preparing for milford and you didn't get to play the game and stay sharp so it could be a factor but i think what i'm going to say joe is i think pelham is so good so well coached and and so veteran that it's probably not going to affect them too much yeah. um that would be my guess i i, I think certainly it's not ideal but uh, because you want to stay sharp, but I, I I don't know that it would be a huge factor. But I, I it is an interesting question, and I, I do think this is going to be a good football game. I yeah, I think that one's a good one. Um, you've also got um, oh where did it go? Here we go. Uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks, Hanover plays at Guilford Belmont in two weeks, and then hosts Pelham to finish the season. Pelham after Milford has Sauhegan in between. Uh, that game against Hanover, and then of course, you know, I know the teams are a little bit down, but but I know they're kind of a little bit of a rivalry there. Sauhegan at Hollis this Friday, and then uh, they end the season at John Stark, which you know just put up uh, like we were saying sixty points uh, against Hillsboro Deering. Um, so they look like they're headed in a, in a right in the right direction. So the the West Conference is is really going to really come down to these last couple weeks, and I think this is. I mean, this is what you want as a football fan. I think to, to this is what's exciting is seeing these teams have to battle it out. You know, you don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah, I, I think on paper, Sauhegan probably has the easier road right. of the three. Yeah. Um, but again, right with Sauhegan's run defense being a little bit porous against Hanover this past week, it does make you question 
the game against John Stark at the end of the season, you know Pelham's going to be a great game. Um, but you know Stark can run the ball, so you know could that be a factor? And then you look at um, Hanover having to end with West, Guilford, Belmont, and Pelham. That's a pretty big. Um, that's a pretty big task too. I know West hasn't been um, great this year. They just lost to Merrimack Valley this past week, but I still think they're a decent football team. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that uh, I think that there's some great games coming up here that are really going to shape that conference going forward. You know, and then on the other side, you know, like we just mentioned, Guilford Belmont, uh, they're still cruising along on that in the top spot there in the West, or excuse me, in the East, coming off a big win at Plymouth. I believe that's the first time that they've ever beaten Plymouth. Um, and it, the, so that's a big one there. And then, um, you know, we haven't talked about them as much the last couple of weeks because, you know, they had such a tough opening schedule that's a little bit lighter in the back half is Bo. Bo's right behind them there. I know they, they dropped that uh, game to Guilford Belmont earlier in the year, but they're, you know, sticking right behind them at five and one. Uh, and then St. Thomas, which, you know, I think early in the year with them, you and I kind of looked at some of their, their, scores and we're kind of like well how good is this team they they don't seem to be you know they're not lighting it up they're not you know really doing anything eye-opening they come off that loss to Pembroke a week ago and really take care of business I thought against uh Laconia with a a 33-16 win um the 33 points there being a season high scoring for St. Thomas you know and yeah. they've, but they've got a tough stretch to end the year now having to play at Bow at Plymouth and then against Guilford Belmont to close the year, so uh, that's that, a brutal yeah. way to end. Um, and and it, it 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 makes you look back at that. Uh, what was it? Week five loss to Pembroke. Yeah. If you're St. Thomas, and you you, you know you've got to be looking at that a little bit. I mean, I, I know you do nothing but look ahead usually as a football team, but Pembroke has only got two wins to their name. One was Hillsborough Deer and Hopkinton, um, and, and then the other was St. Thomas. So. You know, you look at dropping that game to Pembroke and say, "Man, could that have really hurt us?" Especially with what we have ahead of us. Yeah, it, and and there, I mean, you know, they've got wins over Kennett and Merrimack Valley, who are a game behind at three and three. Uh, but again, you know, with those those three games to finish the year, it's not out of question. You see, St. Thomas end up at four and five, uh, and they could potentially be looking behind one of those teams, uh, you know, at a playoff spot. And and that's again, it's going to come, you know. I think we mentioned this back when, uh, you know, maybe after the third or fourth week, you looked at the other side in the in the West where you had those three teams in Sauhegan, Pelham, and Hanover that were alone up top there. Milford's climbed back into it at 3-3. Three and three. You know, and you've got Plymouth, Kennett, and again Merrimack Valley at 3-3 three and three on the other side. So someone from that group is not going to make it in. Um, and maybe even two teams. I, I can't do that much math off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, But there might even be two of those teams in that group that don't get in. Um, You know, so it's going to be a real scramble at the end here to not be that team. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to I hope the way things shake out is that some of these teams like Guilford Belmont and Bo, uh, some of these teams will will end up crossing over in the playoffs early with your Sauhegans and your Hanovers and your Pelops, right? I I really want to see how those teams match up against each other. I really hope that it plays out that way. Yeah, I think that'll be the case. That that sounds like it should work out that way. Uh, you know, and then uh, looking ahead to, or looking down to uh, to Division Three, um, 
you know, that, that game was uh, Monadnock Campbell on Saturday, certainly the game of the week in the division, um, and kind of an interesting setup for it. You had, you know, Monadnock two weeks ago lose to Trinity 28 to nothing. And then the following week, Trinity has to go back and forth with Campbell before they finally are able to pull away for a 36-22 win. And I, I would have guessed if you polled a lot of, a lot of people um, going into this game that they would have given the edge to Campbell and, um, you know, the way it started, maybe even Campbell would have, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, just because Monadnock was so dominant uh, in their ball control offense, I had in the first half, Campbell barely had seven minutes of, of possession time uh, in that first half. Um, they just could not do anything getting the ball moving. That was even before uh, Lorenz, who we mentioned before, had, uh, you know, turned on his big – I mean, he had a good game to that in the first half, but uh, he really pulled away in the second half, as did – Manandok. Um you know, but that game was just I think a shock to to a lot of people and, and probably opened the eyes of a lot of teams in the division uh as to what maybe Manadnock's capable of. Yeah, it sounds to me the way that that went like Manadnock Manadnock game planned around we're gonna wear them out, we're gonna be patient, we're gonna stick with it. And, you know, it's it's that old adage of like, you know, by midway through the third those three to four yard gains are going to be seven to eight yard gains because they're just not going to want to keep standing up to the pounding that we're going to deliver to them. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you hit the nail on the head with that one, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I think, um, I think a, a couple other interesting things developing in division three, I, I would like to mention that I think, uh, I think it's a great thing that uh, Convell got their first win of the season yeah. against Kingswood this weekend. Um, you know, again, in a, in sort of a rebuilding mode there. And you know that you've got a group of kids who probably love football. They just want to go out and compete. It's got to be heartbreaking every week to go out there and, and, um, you know, and, and, and not pull it off, even though you, you prepare to win every week. But, um, you know, I saw that Eric McGrath, who is a, uh, um, quarterback for Conville ran for 120 some odd yards uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, he's a receiver, uh, ran for 127 yards, caught two touchdown passes, um, and uh, and that was before he left the game in, in, with an injury, so uh, it could have been more there for him. But I, I just wanted to tip a cat, cap to Conval, and um, again, you know, we've kind of been recognizing some of these teams that are starting to turn it around a little bit. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, getting, getting that first win. Uh, of course, then they... They have Campbell coming to play them uh, in a battle of uh, of the Cougars on Friday night, so I'm certainly not getting Campbell uh, in the best spot there. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be an angry team. Getting yes, the, I would the say they'll probably be yeah. looking looking to prove a point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and what that kind of does, I think, um, the the Manadnock win um, really sets up for an interesting stretch. I know we talked about Stevens, Fall Mountain, uh, and Interlakes coming down here. Uh, what what they're you know, going to do, uh, but then you, I think you have to throw Campbell in there too, because of that season ending game against fall mountain. I mean, certainly you would, you would probably put Campbell as the favorite going into that game. Um, you know, but, but there's no telling what happens over the next couple of weeks and how important that game could end up being to standings. Yeah. And, and you got to wonder whether there's a formula to be, to be looked at here. Right. I mean, I, you know, obviously every team is different. Your emotional makeup is different. Your 
X's and O's are different. Your schemes are different. Your your talent is different. But, you know, you can bet a lot of teams will want to take a look at that Manadnock-Campbell film um, and say, hey, are we capable of executing a similar game plan? Now, again, that doesn't mean you have to go and run the full house wishbone with two tight ends like Manadnock does to get it done. But if you're if you're looking at that and you say, hey, you know what, they were patient, they ran the ball, they stuck with it, is that something that we can do um, and execute well against Campbell? Don't know, right? It, it, uh, that's that's for those teams to answer, but... Right, right. Um, you know, any other thoughts on D3? No, I think it's like you said, I think there's a lot coming yeah. up here uh, for, for a number of these teams in the final three weeks that will uh, that will really start to tell a story. Yeah. Uh, I know for Division Four, of course, we we, rec- or we talked about Franklin, um, you know, picking up their first win. Kind of the other big game, I think, in the division uh, last week, you had uh, Newport bouncing back from its first loss with a win over Bishop Brady, 36-13. Uh, you know, those two teams were, I think, you know, right next to each other in the standings. Uh, they might still be, as, as I, now that I think about it, yeah. Uh, Newport at four and one, Bishop Brady three and two, uh, and Bishop Brady's just ahead of Raymond, uh, who's also three and two, for those top four spots. Spots with Summersworth being uh, on the top of the standings. Um, so yeah, big win for Newport to get back on track. Um, you know, and I think um, you're you're starting to see that kind of shape out a little bit. The big game I think maybe this week, uh, Newfound, who's two and three. And right behind Raymond at three and two, uh, they play this week at Raymond uh, Saturday afternoon. So that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, yep. In in Division Four, and then Summersworth gets uh, gets to go to Bishop Brady, um, looking to bounce back from their uh, loss to Newport. Uh, but that'll be uh, certainly be a, a tough task for the uh, the Giants to try to pull an off off an upset there. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. I was actually in. Newport this weekend for my own um, little little guys football game, and I, I was talking to their coaching staff, and I know that they were uh, they were excited that uh, Newport had gotten back on track against Bishop Brady, who you know is, I think is a pretty pretty good quality team this year, right? I know they had that tough loss to Winnesquam to open the season, but you know they had strung together three pretty good wins um, coming out of that, so I know that I know that Newport was uh, was pleased to be back on track. And, and an interesting point uh, in their season, too, because they play this week, and then you've got that bye for everybody in the division the following week, and then they come back and finish out the regular season that last weekend in October. Right. So so kind of an interesting run there. All right, Mike. Well, um, any other final thoughts before we uh, we wrap it up for another week? No, I thought it was a really fun weekend. Um, it, it sounds like uh, some things are really going to start to get buttoned up in the coming couple weeks though. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting out to see some more games and uh, yeah, and just, just catching some great late season football. Yeah. Some huge, uh, huge games this weekend as always. And uh, hoping to have, uh, you know, info for you on the site is for as many of them as possible. Um, so yeah, checked out. Uh, don't forget to go check out nh highschoolsportscom this weekend. Uh, and, uh, and of course on, on Tuesday next week when we'll have another podcast for you. Uh, He is uh, Mike Lockman. Mike, thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. I am Joe Marcellina. Uh, Have a great week. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.